Hello, folks. Pull up a chair and join us on this adventure we call the Good Judgment Podcast. The episode notes for this incredibly entertaining and informative episode that you are about to consume are available at goodjudgepod.com. That's goodjudgepod.com. Hello, folks. Welcome back to the Good Judgment Podcast. I'm Wade Padgett. And I'm Tane Kell. We're really glad to be with you today. Hey, Tane, guess what? What? Remember when we started this? Yeah. And we had, like, Jim helping us? Yeah. And we did it at UGA? Yeah. And it snowed one time? Oh, that was cool. Yeah. We're back. I know. We're back in the studio, folks. We are on the University of Georgia campus, and it's just a great day to be alive. Jim, thanks for being here with us. Jim Henneberger, ladies and gentlemen, who makes the sound sound. Except good. that he doesn't have a microphone. I know. So he can't say anything. But he waved. Hey, he waved. Okay. <laughs> He's a man of few words, that Jim Henneberger. All right, Tane. So today let's talk about um, something that doesn't come up often, but when it does, it can be a little dicey. Let's talk about how to qualify a jury in a civil case. Ooh, that's a great idea. Now, most people know in every jury trial, whether it's civil, criminal, whatever, you have to qualify the jury just so that we're all saying the same words. Explain to the folks what we're talking about qualification. So there are certain things that you need to ask a jury to make sure that they are legally appropriate persons to sit in the jury. In other words, that there are, they, they meet the uh, minimum qualifications to sit as jurors. You know, Tame, one of the things that you and I learned by doing this podcast is occasionally we learn stuff, we accidentally learn things. Yeah, it, it usually is by accident, in fact. So in performing this research, I, there were some things that I either had not thought about or had not encountered, so we're going to talk about them today. So Yeah, then that's, that's again, that's the way we learn, Wade. So, Tane, we probably ought to go ahead and get one more thing out in the open early. Okay. We occasionally, I mean, 99.9% of the time, we have the same opinion on things. Yeah. There's that one-tenth of 1% of a time that we really don't. Yeah. People believe that you and I are in some sort of symbiotic relationship, like the shark and the remora, and, you know, we're one living off the other at all times and dependent on each other. But the truth of the matter is we are independent human beings with our own brains, and we think independently. Right, Wade? Usually. Eh, usually, yeah. So we have this issue with qualification. Right. Where all of this issue that, that all of us assume we have to qualify a jury on. Mm-hmm. In both civil and criminal cases. Right. It only appears in the criminal felony jury trial section of the code. I know. Isn't that weird? It's kind of like swearing in a jury in a civil case. Exactly. You and I have talked about that in previous episodes. There's really no requirement under Georgia law that you give the jury an oath. The trial in a civil, oath. The, tri- the mm-hmm. trial oath in a civil case. Yeah. Uh, and, and when we talked about that in that episode, uh, we talked about the fact that I always do it. Uh, I, I always give them the 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 crim what's essentially the criminal jury. Oath. You shall well and truly try yeah, the case before you. Yeah, vote. and I and I do it uh, because it makes me feel good. <laughs> There's no harm in it, and I think it makes the jury feel like okay, we're official now and we're qualified. But yeah, there's no requirement for that. So and we're I gonna, don't. We're gonna yeah, and you don't. Mm-hmm. But we're gonna talk about something else that's the same kind of thing. Well, today. so the statutory qualification questions that you can find in OCGA fifteen twelve one sixty three. We're not gonna read this, the statute because that's very boring, right, Tane? Uh, and reading law in a podcast is not awesome. 
<laughs> wow, that's almost <laughs> like I hit that button thing. I know. But I'm going to ask this: the, all the question, all the questions that appear there, mm-hmm. and even in a civil case, do you do that too? Yeah, yeah, I do. So remember, you're you're going to ask the the folks, and and don't forget, all of this can be found in our outline at GoodJudgePod.com. We're going to have this outline posted. It's got the code section. It's got the law that we're going to quote. So don't 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 drive off the road yeah. or fall off the treadmill. Yeah, and and we see you over there. You're not running on that treadmill. You're yeah, just you can walking. pick it up a little bit. Yeah, pick up the pace. Come on. Basically, the 163, 1512-163 says that you are to qualify jurors as to their citizenship, their residency, their age, that the the Basically, do you have a mental illness or intellectual disability or that they are intoxicated? I don't usually ask that question. Um, <laughs> I, that's I usually, usually a judgment call. Yeah, an observational <laughs> uh, exactly. response. Yeah. Want to follow along? Visit our website. Find this episode outline and more information on this episode at goodjudgepod.com. That's goodjudgepod.com. That, but that the relationship of the juror, potential juror, to the the parties, the juror has been a, is a convicted felon whose civil rights have not been restored. And finally, if they are having difficulty communicating the English language. Now, Tane, I have had people tell me that if I have trouble communicating in the English language, how am I going to respond to that question? (laughs) I can't tell you how many people have responded to that question who are English as a second language uh, individuals. Sure. I've never had that problem. So Yeah, no, I've never had that problem either. And quite frankly, if you get to the point where you're asking that question of them, you've probably already <laughs> figured out that they're not communicating at all and, right. and and you can, you know, figure out that you need to do something differently. And I also ask those other questions that appear in the other code sections, again in the felony jury trial section. Mm-hmm. Do you have you formed and expressed any opinion as to who should prevail? Have you any wish or desire as to which party ought to succeed? And then if you're trying a divorce case, Tane, you have to actually ask the jurors if they are conscientiously opposed to the granting of a divorce. Well, but (laughs) then there's a case that says, well, you don't have to ask that question if the parties stipulate the marriage is irretrievably broken. Yeah. And, and and the reason we don't get to that very often is how many divorce jury trials have you had during your entire time? I tried this? one as a lawyer, uh-huh. and I presided over one as a judge. I have presided over exactly zero as a judge. What did y'all do in Cobb County? You don't do civil cases. You don't do divorces. I mean, d- jury trials. I mean, we got a lot of great places to go to lunch in Marietta. I mean, there's <laughs> there's a lot of really good bar events. Um Oh, you meant for the like the legal bar, not yeah, county the bar. drinking bar. Yeah, county bar. No, no, not the county bar. I mean, not the drinking bar. No. <laughs> all right. Now there are some questions that are unique to civil cases, and that's really what this episode was supposed to be all about. Right. Is those that those questions that are unique to a civil case that probably are not going to be relevant to any sort of criminal case. Right. So so, but but let's back up here. You and I had a conversation about this, and and you said to me. Do you ask those qualifying questions in a civil case? And and I said, yeah, I've I've always asked them in a civil case. And then we discussed the fact that it's not it's not in the code section. But quite frankly, I wouldn't feel 
appropriate going forward without at least having something approaching qualifying questions for the jury before the lawyers ever start asking their questions. Otherwise, you're going to leave it to the hodgepodge of did the lawyers ask the questions or did they ask them correctly and and it, just do it as the judge. Just do it and get it over with. That way everybody's on the same page. You can check that box. And you and I, once again, are of the same mind, Wade. You, as usual. Yes. All right, relationships within the third degree. Now, Tane, are you good at that whole... Consanguinity? Or affinity, but 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 are you good at that whole <laughs> no. family tree thing? No, no. And how a second cousin if you, if you twice knew, removed. If you knew what my family tree looked like, Wade, you <laughs> would one. understand why I have a real difficulty with yeah your your mama cousin. Yeah, there are some <laughs> gnarled branches in my family tree. <laughs> Definitely. Um, but it changed a few years ago. It used to be the sixth degree, but now it's the third degree. And I usually actually define that term. So I will say, ladies and gentlemen, please respond if you are. And I go through the list. I went and got a um, uh, ancestry.com tree thing. And I actually asked them if you're the grandfather, step grandfather, grandfather in law, you know, all that kind of stuff. Can you put your uh, ancestry tree? On uh, the website at goodjudgepod.com. I will, and if anybody if I, if anybody realizes I have forgotten to do so, all you got to do is send me an email at goodjudgepod at gmail.com. Exactly, and I will update it then. All right, so third degree, you have to ask if these potential jurors are related within the third degree to the following players in your jury trial: mm-hmm. the parties, obviously plaintiff and defendant. That would be relevant to both criminal and civil cases. Of course, the state would be the plaintiff, but mm-hmm. and then who tame the what is it the gods of of the legal profession? Yeah, the gods of the legal profession or the litigators themselves. So you want to know if they're related to any of the lawyers or um, anyone in their law firms? If they have a contingent fee or pecuniary interest in the outcome of the case, exactly. And understand. Um, I had people argue with me about that in civil cases. They said, well, you didn't you didn't qualify the jury as to the defense attorney. And I'm like, well, they don't have a a pecuniary or contingent fee interest in the case, and I'm not required to. But in, if you'd asked me to, I would have qualified them, but you didn't ask that, so you can ask them. Uh, and, and then finally, anybody else that you might have identified in the pretrial order. Now, Tane, today's episode is going to help you know, be reason number 7,408 <laughs> why you need a pretrial order. This, ha- this is one of those real, one of those areas where that really helps. You agree? Absolutely. Now it's also relevant in civil cases. If anybody on the panel, uh, potential jurors has any interest in the outcome of the case because of a business, personal or other sort of relationship to anybody involved in the case, now, and, and, and let me say, I mean, you might think that's not going to come up that often, but think about this. Uh, I live in Cobb County. Home Depot is located in Cobb County. Racetrack is located in Cobb County. If you're a shareholder in those companies... Wait, hold up now. Don't, we're, don't get we're ahead not getting of ahead. Us. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But, but if you have a pecuniary interest in the outcome of that case... yeah. So, yeah, if you personally somehow... Racetrack is in, housed in Cobb yeah, County? Yeah, they're right across from Turner, Turner, uh, Turner Field, right across from Truist Park, the TV. Wow. So give me, for as an example, Tane, let's say you had a PI case where the injuries, they don't really contest liability, the injuries are the issue, okay? Mm-hmm. 
And the, they plan to call a physician in the case who's really going to be crucial. Mm-hmm. Are you going to let the child of the physician serve as a juror in the case? Now, that just feels weird, doesn't it? It does. And so the cases say the court acts within its discretion to remove the child of a witness, but honestly, you don't qualify these jurors as to any relationships to witnesses. You right. qualify them as to the parties, lawyers, et cetera, as we've already discussed. Well, and I'll give you another kind of weird example, but these things do happen. Um, I was trying to case down in, in South Georgia, and the party that was in the case was the governmental entity. It was the Department of Transportation. Um, but I had an agency representative sitting with me at trial. Now, he doesn't have any pecuniary interest in the trial. He's just there as the agency representative. But his first cousin was on my jury. Um, it was a very small county. Everybody knew everybody. Um, and the lawyers knew it was his first cousin. He identified himself as his first cousin, but they allowed him to be on the jury because he's not technically disqualified. He just knew the agency representative because he was related to him. And uh, there's an interesting backstory to that, Wade, but I will not divulge it uh, on the podcast. But uh, anyway, it, it, we ended up with a hung jury in that case. But um, <laughs> 11 to 1, one being the, the first cousin. Now, look, <laughs> talk to the people here that listen to us about what you were talking about earlier about your racetrack and, and you're, you're, assume, the, you're, assuming, you're assuming people are listening. Wade. No, I'm sorry. I'm a person is listening. Okay. <laughs> look, Chris always listens. That's true. Hey, Chris. Christopher Hansard, everybody. Um, last but not, but not least, talk about the employees of corporate parties. Sure. So again, you know, as I said, you you may you may be in in Cobb County. You know, there are a lot of big companies that are located in that area, and um, uh, the employees of a company that is a party in the case are potentially people who are or are people who are disqualified from the case because think about that. I mean, they're not going to find against their employer because it might hurt their employer's bottom line, which might affect their bonuses, their pay, their something uh, if they did that calculation in their brain. If you're looking, we're on page four of the outline. Folks, we'll be right back after this pause for station identification. Folks, this is Wade and Tane. You're listening to the Good Judgment Podcast on the World Wide Web or wherever else you listen to these things. As always, you can find outlines for these podcast episodes as well as any supplemental materials on our website, which is goodjudgepod.com. We'd love to have your feedback about the podcast, and we get that at our email, goodjudgepod at gmail.com. We're always looking for suggested podcast topics. Please feel free to submit your suggestions to us at goodjudgepod at gmail.com. Operators are standing by. And remember, if you like what you're hearing, don't forget to like us and follow us on your favorite podcast platform. And tell your friends it's how we get to grow our listenership. Thanks. And now back to our studio audience. Additionally, but now understand that relatives of employees are not disqualified. So, right. and that's a pure disqualification. Right. So there is now, Tane, we go to the tightrope, the mm -hmm. one that judges have to walk that is a, involves legal fictions and all of those other things, and that is, dun-dun-dun, insurance. <laughs> there are questions that I ask in all tort cases, maybe a different outcome in contract cases, and I cited the case law that says that this, that this 
some of this policy doesn't apply to contract cases. So, Tane, read everybody the question that you asked first in a tort case when it comes to the topic of insurance. Yeah, and, and Wade's right. I mean, the, the verbiage here makes a difference. So this is, this is one of those things where we try to be very careful about what we say. The question for the jurors are, are any of you a stockholder or policyholder in the case of a mutual insurance company, officer, director, agent, or employee of, and then you name whatever company is involved in the case or any party or any insurer that's um, in the case. Secondly, you would ask, are any of you related within the third degree to any shareholder or, excuse me, stockholder or policyholder in the case of a mutual insurance company, officer, director, or agent of same or those insurance companies? as the case may be. now, <laughs> And the likelihood that they know the answer to that question is probably zero, but lots of hands will still go up. Yeah, oh, yeah I, I must be related I to somebody. I think I'm related to somebody that has a shareholder. All-state all insurance. Yeah. <laughs> now, we're going to talk about the collateral source rule. We're not going to get in the weeds of it, Tane, but it Thank comes you. up here. You want to explain the collateral source rule as a general prospect? You want me to do it? I, I do not. I do not wish to do that. Thank you. I decline. Hard, so the collateral source rule says that you, are, as the, the court or the evidence in the case, cannot come in to tell the jurors that the person who is the plaintiff, who is a claim to be injured, got some insurance proceeds to pay their medical bills, their lost wages, their time out of work, any of that. Yeah, and, and if you want to see a group of lawyers bristle, <laughs> just talk to uh, some plaintiff's lawyers about the collateral source rule and what they think about it. Well, the collateral source rule keeps that evidence out. Right. Unless somehow you, plaintiff, make it relevant. Mm -hmm. And so you will see this, this whole dance that happens again and again and again. Oh, they've opened the door to the collateral source rule. No, I haven't back and forth. The point is you're going you are told you must ask the jurors about the presence of insurance but you can't tell them that there's an insurance company that has an interest in the outcome of this case. Now, <laughs> jurors are not stupid. They're going to they're going to they're going to weigh it out and they're going to go, "Why would you ask me about State Farm?" and then not there'll be no evidence in the whole case about State Farm. This guy must have State Farm, right? Yeah, you, I, I have always believed it was kind of a silly rule. Now, it, it's interesting that you say that the door can be opened because it really can. I actually had it opened one time uh, in closing argument. <laughs> We've gotten all through the entire case. There's been no mention of collateral source. Everything's going great. And then the lawyer makes an argument that uh, if, if the jury doesn't return a verdict in his favor, he will be left destitute because he can't possibly pay these exorbitant medical bills that they've had evidence about. Ding, ding, ding. So now we have a... Your Honor, we need to have a conversation wah, outside wah, the... Wah. We need to have a conversation outside the presence of the jury. You always hate yeah. that in the closing argument. Yeah, well, yeah, you think, oh, I'm home free. It's closing argument now. And then, yeah. And yeah, we, we actually uh, we actually came back and, and told the jury that, that X number of dollars of the bills had been paid by insurance. Um, that was that was. I bet the that, I would imagine that impacted that verdict from your opinion greatly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so there are. So here's the yin and yang of this problem. Under the collateral source rule, you can't tell jury about the presence of the insurance. But when qualifying a jury, you must qualify the jurors as to whether they have that insurance or are related within the third degree to anybody who has that insurance. 
And so, Tane, when we get into this, we have to dis- explain the difference between a mutual insurance company and a stock insurance company. Now, there, there may be another phrase, but just understand that a mutual insurance company and a stock insurance company, you have to know this. Yeah. We're going to come back and we're going to double back in a minute and show you how you solve this. And you don't have to stress about it nearly as much as what we're about to say, but we thought we would touch it real quick. In a mutual insurance company, Tane, sure. tell the people what's kind of how that works. What's a mutual insurance company? Right. So, and and some of the big insurance companies are mutual companies. So it, it would- State Farm, State Allstate. Farm, Allstate, uh, Farmers, uh, a bunch of the- Farm Bureau. Yeah. I don't think USAA is. I don't think USAA is, and I don't think- Geico is, but I don't I could, remember. I could be wrong. But tell the folks but, what a mutual insurance sure. company is. So a mutual insurance company is where the policyholder actually has a stake in the outcome of the case because it affects the way premiums are calculated by that insurance company in some cases. Uh, and s- savings in the payment of insurance claims actually results in a dividend payer, uh, I'm sorry, a dividend payment to the policyholder. So those companies actually send dividends. They don't actually cut them a check, but they they give them a break on their insurance or affect uh, you know the the money that goes into their pocket or stays in their pocket by how many claims get awarded against them or not awarded against them in a given uh, calendar year. So therefore, compare the mutual insurance company to a stock insurance company. Under a stock insurance company. Like most traditional corporations, a stock insurance company has shareholders who have a financial interest financial interest in the claims that the insur- insurer has to pay out. In other words, if they take in X number of dollars and only pay out Y number of dollars, there's some money left to pay back to the shareholders and mm-hmm. by way of dividends. You ha- you don't necessarily have you you have to figure out whether the company involved is a mutual company or a stock company because the way you have to ask the question, right? Taints, because a mutual company, you have to say, do any of you have this insurance? Right. With a stock company, you have to say, do any of you own this stock? Mm-hmm. Those are very different questions. Mm-hmm. And, and in many communities, mine being one, yours probably the same, there are a whole, whole lot of people who have State Farm insurance on their car and they know that right there may be some people that have some state farm insurance in their 401k and the you know three layers down of this holding company and that management company and all this they don't know but they know good and well if they have state farm insurance on the car sitting in the parking lot absolutely and uh it again as you said it it affects the way you or it is affected by the way you ask the question um but I will say my rule of thumb on this, just like with a lot of things here, is this ain't my problem to solve. (laughs) And I don't want to jump ahead of you, Wade, if that wasn't where you're going. But you say, oh, my God, how am I supposed to know? You don't have to know. The lawyers have to know this. And And where should it appear? And where should they communicate that to you, Tane? It should appear in the pretrial order, people. Ding! I know. And so when you have a pretrial conference in a civil case, in a slip and fall, in a uh, car wreck case, in any of those things, a question you always have to ask of those lawyers is, do we have any questions of collateral source or insurance? Those are two things that you need to be sure that you're talking about with the lawyers during the pretrial conference, this ain't something we need to figure out when we've got jurors there in the box and we're about to do our uh, voir dire questions. 
Ooh, did you just say Vordire? I did, man. I've changed. I, I've come around, Wade. Nice. It was, you, were so, you were so smart earlier when you said Vordire. Vordire. Um, but you also have to qualify not only to who has the insurance, but anybody within the third degree to those people who have the insurance. So and I got to know. I'm charged with knowing what my mama had, what insurance mama has. And third degree. And now you, what, your mama cousins. Them, my cousin them have. My cousin on, them. Come on, y'all. They ain't got no insurance. They ain't got no insurance. Um, so the question is not necessarily only that the juror is a shareholder of a stock company or policyholder, whether they can be impartial. It is a per se disqualification. Yes. And that can become a real issue on appeal if you don't ask the question. So, and, um, and let me, let me jump in and say one thing there, Wade, and, 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 you know, I know most of y'all won't do this, but sometimes when you're, sometimes when you're trying to wrap your brain around these concepts, things get, things get confused don't confuse disqualification with people you can strike <laughs> or, or people you might even ask to be struck for cause, okay? Uh, disqualification is that person can't sit. They raise their hand affirmatively to the question, they can't be a juror in the case. They can't be on the panel. And, yeah, exactly. Um, this qualification must be done in open court. You can't do it just via a um, special interrogatory or questionnaire in advance of trial. And highlight that way because I think people. I don't have a highlighter. No, no. But (laughs) 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 all right, it's highlighted. Um, (laughs) People have made that mistake. Um, They got a big, big case coming up. They know they're going to have to qualify a whole bunch of jurors. They send out a questionnaire and they basically let the. jury administrator or whoever is down in the room with the jurors just strike a whole bunch of people because they got all state insurance. That's not the way it's supposed to happen. So just be really careful about that. You, even if you do it that way, do it again verbally on the record. Yep. Now we're, we're no, just so that everybody's clear, we know that you were wondering exactly as we were wondering, how is the judge supposed to figure all this out with a juror in the hallway and they're about to come in the room and all of that? Just know that you don't. You put that on onus. Just just remember to ask the question, especially in a tort case, probably not in a contract case, probably not in a condemnation case or something like that, but especially in a tort case, ask the question during the pretrial conference. Make it be a part of the order. And that begs the question too, Wade, I don't have civil trials without having a pretrial conference. I don't and, either. An actual pretrial and conference. I and, I, and I enter a pretrial order. I, I absolutely do. In every single um, in every single civil case that I tried on the bench, um, I want a pretrial order in place because it's it controls the case. I mean, yes. uh, if you if you listen to our episode where we talk about pretrial orders and the importance of those, um, that's what controls the case. And I want it to control the case. I want to have it there in black and white so I can say, see here, we already did this and we said the answer to this question was X. And properly prepared lawyers should want it too. Absolutely. So now that we've talked about this whole, now that we've told you more than you ever wanted to know about insurance and stock and mutual companies and State Farm and Allstate and all that, let's double back to how asking these questions creates that tightrope, Tane. We have to qualify the jury panel as to potential insurance, but we can't tell them that there is any insurance that is relevant in this case. And I don't want to confuse those things. That's right. Because if you lay on this issue during Vaudeer or Vordar, then what you're going to end up with is a 
you may have raised the issue unintentionally. Right. You agree? Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I think, again, the way that you do that is you have a discussion with the lawyers at the pretrial conference about exactly how are we going to address this issue? Here's the question I'm planning on asking. Is there any objection to the way that this question is worded or do we need to change it? I mean, I think I think you get into the to, to the weeds a little bit in that in these cases because it's that important that you not mess this up right at the beginning of trial because you may have contaminated an entire jury trial by asking an improper question or again emphasizing the insurance question too much. If the if the timing is right, you've raised an interesting issue that I just wanted to hit you on. And there's really nothing about this in the outline. So, Tane, it, it, how often did you allow jury questionnaires to go out if they were requested sufficiently in advance to allow for it time-wise? I like them. Uh, I didn't do it very often because I didn't have lawyers ask for it very much. But, um, you know, I, I like jury questionnaires. And, you know, again, it's you make the call as to whether you mail them to the jurors, whether they fill them out when they're down in the jury room and you just look over them before trial, you know, how you, how you actually do it becomes a question. But I think the lawyers get useful information. I think you as the judge have to be a real gatekeeper there though, because again, just like in Vordire, lawyers are going to try to try their case in the questionnaire, you know, and you don't want that. You want to prevent that. But I, you know, I kind of liked them. And the few quick cases that they ever came up, I, you know, I, I didn't have a problem with that. So folks, that's all for our episode on qualifying potential jurors in civil cases. Remember, judges are required to ensure that potential jurors are properly qualified as to their relationships. We've talked about that, that they are age appropriate, et cetera, but also as to their financial interest, in any financial interest they may have in the outcome of the case. Some of those relationships are obvious. Some of them more nuanced. You like that word, Tank? I do. It's really fancy. We're required to qualify the uh, potential jurors, but we can't tell jurors things like there's insurance in the case. Don't forget that. And um, as we've said, we've told you more about insurance and about qualifying jurors than you ever wanted to know. So um, with that... This outline is going to be full of good statutory and case citations that can be found at our website at goodjudgepod.com. Reach out to us on goodjudgepod at gmail.com with all of your podcast topic ideas. With that, I'm Wade Padgett. And I'm Tane Kell, ensuring that you have a good case. Oh, my God. Thank you for listening to the Good Judgment Podcast. We try our best to give you actionable information but in a format that does not make you want to hurt yourself. Two thoughts. Some topics allow us the latitude to be a little bit more fun. Number two, if we failed you, we will try to do our best to do better in the next episode. We know that you have lots of choices and we're honored that you chose us this time. We're kind of amazed to be totally honest. This podcast began as a project that was initially the brainchild of Doug Ashworth, the former director the executive director of ICJE. Thanks and appreciation to Mr. Henneberger and the entire University of Georgia College of Law, my new part-time employer. Thanks to Mr. Stephen Turner and his company, Turner Up Media, who helped edit out some of our stupidity and awkwardness. But hey, nobody can get it all. Thanks to our unsung hero, Kevin Holder. You are instrumental in our podcast being published and made available to the public. We should have been singing your praises all along, but we didn't, so... Tane and I are eternally grateful to the Council of Superior Court Judges who allow us to lead new judge orientation for the Superior Court Judges all across Georgia. 
Wade and I are also grateful to the State Justice Institute who allow us to do this through their generosity. You know that these are our opinions and do not reflect the opinions of ICJE, SJI, CSCJ, the University of Georgia College of Law, or anyone else for that matter. Contact us at goodjudgepod at gmail.com for any praise. Contact someone else with your complaints. But seriously, we would love your feedback, both good and bad. Send any comments to goodjudgepod at gmail.com. Please visit our website, goodjudgepod.com, for all our episode outlines and more details about our podcasts. Some of you send emails asking for copies of the outlines. Seriously, people, they're available 24-7, 365 at the website goodjudgepod.com, and we say that like 20 times during every broadcast. But seriously, you can upload or download or otherwise use them as you wish and on your schedule and at your convenience. Once again, I'm Wade Padgett. And as always, I'm Tane Kell. Thanks for listening. Tane, I guess it's time to bang the gavel on this episode. Any last thoughts before we wrap this up? Did you know Prince wrote the song Manic Monday that was ultimately performed by the Bangles?